Welcome to First Responder Friday. My name is Conrad Weaver. I'm your host for this show today. And I'm coming to you from my studio here in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And today, this video that you're seeing is actually a recording. And since I'm going to be out of town on this Friday, uh, July 10th, but uh, you are free to comment below. And we have people that are going to be joining us. In fact, our special guest today is actually here today. And she's... Uh, She's actually responding to your questions live in the comments. So if you have a question for our guest as we go along, please feel free to make a comment. And as best she can, she will respond to you. But uh, I bring you these programs. Uh, I'm, a film, I'm a filmmaker and producer and director and working on a documentary called PTSD 911 and telling the story of our first responders who are dealing with trauma and dealing with the stress of their jobs. And we felt that it's important to bring experts to you live here on Facebook so that you can ask them questions so that we can have a dialogue about these issues and help people uh, perhaps even get help in some way. So today we are honored to have Alicia Swade with us and she is coming to us from wonderful California, right? Yeah. <laughs> so tell me where in California are you located? So I'm in the Monterey Bay area of California. It's really nice right now. <laughs> Not to brag, it's wonderful weather out here. Well, you know, you're lucky to be there. I know I talked to someone here recently that was also close to that area, and he said, uh, I'm sitting here in my living room looking out at the Pacific Ocean. I'm just like, mm -hmm. okay, thanks for rubbing it yep. in, right? <laughs> yep, that's right outside my office here. So. Wow. <laughs> Very nice. So, Alicia, tell me a little bit about what you do. Um, so I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, I work with individuals and couples and families, um, mostly in the Monterey area, but I also do some online work with people throughout the state of California. Um, I'm also a certified first responder counselor. I have special training to better help meet the needs of first responders when they're in counseling sessions. So first of all, what kind of got you started what got your interest in, in counseling to start with and then to, specific, to, to specifically work with first responders? So for counseling in particular, um, I actually went to my undergrad with the intention of becoming a lawyer uh, that quickly dissipated when I saw what the real world was like for lawyers. Um, and then I ended up getting my major in sociology with a minor in applied psychology. And I took a year off after undergrad to figure out what I wanted to do. And I realized that helping people on a one-on-one -on -one scale was really what my heart was driving me towards. Um, and then when I was starting to make a decision as to what grad school program I was gonna go in, looking back on my life, there was just all of these steps that had I had taken and all of these things that had happened to me that really pushed me towards counseling and mental health um, and guided me that way. So I went and got my master's in psychology and then I worked on getting my license as a marriage and family therapist, which that was harder than my grad, my graduate degree. <laughs> um, so yeah, but then when it comes to first responders, I grew up in a household. My dad was a cop when I was growing up. Um, and so I knew nothing other than what life was like for police officers and first responders. Um, and then when I got into grad school, just learning more about trauma and how it impacts different groups of people, um, I just 
kept getting more and more interested in how it impacted first responders and having open conversations with my dad in particular uh, about his experiences was really interesting. Um, and then while I was going through grad school, my husband went to the police academy. And so now I'm married to a police officer. <laughs> Um, and family, and so, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm going to bleed blue the rest of my life. <laughs> so as growing up, you know, the daughter of a, of a police officer, I guess you, did you experience any of that, that, did he bring home some of that trauma? Did you experience some of that? My parents were really good at, um, keeping us protected from what they were experiencing, but looking back as an adult and understanding some of the things the little nuances of the ways trauma presents itself. I go, Oh, that's what that was. That makes sense. Um, like, uh, I love my dad. My dad and I have a great relationship, so I am going to start with that. Um, but he would have a really short temper. Um, he'd get really frustrated really easily, uh, impatient. And I was a very defiant child. I liked to do, do things my own way and it would really cause him to lose his temper a little bit faster. Um, and so that that was really the most that I was exposed to, but my parents also had a really strong relationship and that helped my dad with being able to be home. And then when I was in high school, we actually started going to church. And when my dad became a believer and started following Jesus and learning more about what the Bible says about handling stuff like this, um, he just, it, it was a huge change and he really worked harder at building those relationships and being more patient and working on himself to be more present with us as a family. Hmm. So being as a marriage, you know, as a marriage counselor, marriage and family therapist, there's probably a lot of crossover with first responders because they're probably dealing with some relationship issues. Do you mm -hmm. see that? Oh, absolutely. All the time. Um, one of the biggest barriers that we end up having to work with on first responders is their willingness to be open and connected with their partner in particular. Um, they want to protect the people that they love from the darkness that they see at work. And in doing so, they actually disconnect from their partner. And so really working on that relationship is a very important piece of the work that I do with first responders. Hmm. So, I mean, how do you do that then? I mean, how does that to, to get their partner to understand this? I mean, because they're probably like you, you know, you know, you know, why is dad so cranky today? You know, I mean, how does mm -hmm. that work then? How, how do you how do you bring them to that understanding? Um, one of the big things is educating them, educating them on the effects of trauma and how it affects the brain in particular, because a lot of people, when they respond from a traumatic experience, their brain is in this haywire state. And it's, it's just very confusing and overwhelming. And then they respond in ways that aren't very helpful. Um, and so helping educate both the responder and the spouse around what that looks like and how that can manifest. And then we work together to use their own strengths as a couple and as individuals to find ways of overcoming that obstacle. Um, and then also working with the partner and the spouse or the responder and the spouse with figuring out how to talk about work so that the responder can connect with their spouse 
without the fear of causing harm to their partner by exposing so much of the darkness that they see. Hmm. So what are some things that, that you encourage first responders to do? Perhaps they're at the point where they're saying, you know what, I think I might need to do something about this thing that's going on in my brain. What would you encourage first responders to do first if they kind of sense that, yeah, maybe I need some help? One of the big things that I encourage them to do is to just do the research about what counseling is and what it looks like. Um, a lot of times they'll immediately go to EAP, the Employment Employee Assistance Program, um, and that's not always helpful because the clinicians who are contracted through the EAP are not always competent in treating the first responder culture. And that is going to be really important when they're getting help. If the person that they're getting help from doesn't understand what it's like to live with shift work or what it's like to live with daily being exposed to really dark and evil things that humans are capable of, and then also to go home and be spewed hate towards, if they don't understand that, if they can't even think about it or consider it, it's counseling is not going to be very helpful. Mm -hmm. And so getting the, the education and understanding as to what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So what, I mean, what, what are you seeing that first responders, how do they typically cope with this trauma and these issues that they're dealing with? What are you seeing out there? So the biggest one is what we call escapist behaviors. And what that is, is it's some sort of behavior that they're engaging in that is their way of escaping their emotional experience. Um, and sometimes it can look like it's a healthy thing, but it's actually not because it's an escape rather than processing. Uh, and sometimes it's very obvious that it's not okay. So some examples of escapist behaviors are like um, thrill seeking or adrenaline kind of junkies. So they're um, riding motorcycles really, really fast down really windy roads. Um, they're trying to get that kind of adrenaline rush that they get when they're on duty because they, it, it is invigorating and it gives you this huge boost of energy. But when you're doing it to avoid the emotion, that's where it becomes a problem. Um, also excessive working out, that one they really don't think is a problem. And that goes for people across our entire society, not just first responders. They work out so much that they end up not connecting with the relationships that are important to them. Um, and then some that are obviously not okay is like, alcohol abuse. They drink the alcohol to numb the emotional pain. Um, and then also uh, infidelity. They'll engage in inappropriate relationships with people who aren't their spouse because it provides a little, it's a bit of that adrenaline rush um, when they engage in those kind of behaviors, even though they know it's not what they want. They're doing it to avoid the emotions that they would have to process through when they're with their family. We're talking today with Alicia Swage. She's a licensed uh, family therapist working with first responders as well. And so, Alicia, why is mental health important, especially in first responders? Why is that important? Well, mental health in general is important because we don't really, we're not taught about it as much as we should. Um, and when our mental health is not okay, our body gets out of whack. Uh, the brain sits right on top of the brain stem and the brain stem controls and regulates everything in the body. When the brain is out of whack, 
the brain stem then gets the body out of whack. Um, and that can be through physical tension, difficulty digesting foods, um, nausea, like there's just a huge physical response when our mental health is not well. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go ahead. um and then also it just impacts our relationships if our mental health is not in a good space we're not in um a quality relationship with our partners with our families with our children and the mental health piece really impacts those relationships do you think some of the things that we have seen on the news in the last few years especially with law enforcement that those things could have some kind of roots in mental health So I wouldn't be able to know for sure, but my guess would be most likely the stress of the job is overwhelming. And then to go home and be hated because of the job that you do, that is already stressful enough. Um, It's just, it's, uh, it's a, what do they call it? Like a mush pot of nastiness. And so it can, so when you have that kind of stress on you, you're not always making the right decisions. You're not always responding in ways that i mean even you know when the kids come home and and you kick the dog and you know you're not responding in a way that's appropriate because of the stress that's on you just in mm-hmm. everyday life i can't imagine what that's like being you know in law enforcement or being a first responder and have seen and experienced the things that they re- they experience so that's mm-hmm. to me is just as a layperson that's got to impact someone in the decisions they make yeah yeah It definitely does. And also because when our emotional processing center in the brain is kind of taking control because our mental health isn't very well, it takes over our logical processing. So then we're not logically thinking. Sometimes the training that they get can overcome the emotional dysregulation, but sometimes it doesn't because it's just that powerful. Do you think some people are a little more hardwired to are a little healthier to start with uh, in this issue and then other people are maybe even hardwired or they're, they're not quite as healthy going into this kind of business. I don't know if it's so much a wiring issue from like birth or biology, but I do know that when it comes to like childhood experiences and history of trauma um, for people who did not have healthy relationships going up, it makes it that much harder to handle the stress of the job uh, versus people who grew up in really healthy homes with supportive parents who met their needs in a very healthy way. Uh, That makes it a little bit easier to handle the stress and trauma of the job. And with more than 50% of marriages today ending in divorce, that's probably a good chance that, you know, many first responders don't have that that good experience. And even those who maybe family, you know, relationships that didn't break apart, they're not always healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and the divorce rate's even higher for first responders. Wow. That's, mm-hmm. uh, I, I can imagine because just that stress could, I mean, when you have a partner who doesn't understand what, what you're dealing with, you know, mm-hmm. and then you're hiding it or you're trying to keep it to yourself, that can be mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. yeah. So what, are, what are some of those things that, so speaking of relationships, what are those some of those things that a couple can do to maintain a healthy healthy relationship while one or even both are involved in as a first responder? Um, So one of my biggest things is doing weekly check-ins. 
um, even daily check-ins if possible, but sometimes with shift work and work schedules, it makes it really hard. I know my partner and I can go four days with like saying four words to each other <laughs> because it's just where our schedules are ending and we're like passing off kids before we go to work. Um, but doing daily, if not weekly check-ins uh, with each other, just to see where they're at. Um, Sometimes I'll have them do what we call scaling questions on a scale of one to 10. How stressful was your week? If it was an eight, okay, I understand now that you're stressed, you need a little bit more of a break. Um, if it was more like a three or a four, okay, we can get through this, let's go. Um, and so doing those check-ins is really paramount for the relationship to stay connected. And then scheduling date nights um, is a big one. I, for couples who are not first responders, I'm able to say schedule one a week for first responders. That's not realistic, mm. um, especially if they have children. It's really not realistic. So scheduling date nights at least once or twice a month um, to do that connection. And when you're on date night, not talking about um, the, the major stress points in your relationship. So let's say a couple is really comfortable talking about finances but they're not comfortable talking about, um, or when they talk about parenting, it gets them really riled up. So when you're on date night, don't talk about parenting, talk about the finances, that's okay. Um, as long as you both are not, it's not a hot button for you. Mm -hmm. Do you think too mm -hmm. that oftentimes in relationships, this little gadget can come between, <laughs> come between us? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I know for my husband and I, one of the things that we've had to have multiple conversations about is just how much we're looking at it. Um, and it's so easy to just pick it up and scroll, check your email, check uh, the work schedule, see if there's overtime that's required. Um, check my text to make sure a lawyer didn't text me and tell me I have court tomorrow morning because that's happened a lot of times. Um, but definitely unplugging for sometimes especially when you're doing check-ins um, or date nights, that's, that's essential. Hmm. So, you know, seeking help is not always easy. You know, raising no. your hand and saying, hey, I think I need some help. What can we do to change that in, in the first responder culture? I mean, what needs to happen? That's a great question. And it's a question that not a lot of people are trying to truly find a, a healthy solution for beyond the individual officer. Um, so one of the big things that I think we really need to do when it comes to the stigma of mental health is addressing how, um, what counseling actually looks like and what it pertains to for first responders. So I know when I've talked with my dad, one of the things that he brought up that I was shocked because I'm in this field, I thought everybody knew that he thought that if he told a counselor, I've had suicidal thoughts in the past, that it would automatically mean they would file a 5150, he would lose his gun, he'd lose his job, when that's not the case. Actually, if you're not actively suicidal, I can't do anything about it. Um, and so that's one of the things where we really need to educate everybody, not just an individual officer around is how in counseling, in therapy, you can talk about the stuff that you've struggled with in the past. And as long as you're safe today, as long as people are safe today, we're not going to try and get you fired, if that makes sense. Hmm. 
I think that's um, probably a, something that weighs on. I know I've talked to some people. In fact, I'm working with a, a, a law enforcement officer now who's dealing with the, the fact that, you know, she's afraid that her agency's not going to do well for her because she's dealing with some, some mental health issues. And that can mm -hmm. be scary, you know, potentially yeah. a job and, and that can, can weigh heavy on someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also educating them on the different forms of counseling. So there's not just like every therapist does counseling the same. Um, certain counselors will do therapy with focus on, I'm going to get into the language of counseling right now, but CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy versus psychodynamic or existential. And so trying to understand that the connection that you have with the counselor is going to be the most important piece for whether or not therapy is effective. Um, if you don't feel comfortable with your counselor or the way that they do things, it's not gonna work, but that doesn't mean that other counselors don't approach it differently. Um, and so making sure that we're educated on that piece as well. And then also for first responders, one of the things that they get worried about is getting diagnosed and that having an effect on their ability to be a first responder. Mm -hmm. Now, if you use insurance or EAP, you do have to have a diagnosis and that gets kind of in the wonky area. But if you're paying out of pocket, which it, it is a little bit more expensive, they're not required to give you a diagnosis in order to receive the services that you need. Mm -hmm. I wanna get into how do you find a good therapist but first, I want to say, what are some of those signs of you know, post-traumatic stress? What are some of those things that can pop up that it should be red flags? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, one of the big ones that everybody kind of understands is like having the flashbacks um, and nightmares. So constantly reliving the trauma that you were exposed to. That is one of the big telltale signs of PTSD. However, trauma manifests itself in so many other ways. One of the big ones that I see that people don't realize is anger. Our, we're short fused, we're irritable. That's because we're, we're not capable of holding an emotional healthy level. So now it's just gonna like, I'm just gonna lash out at everybody. My, my patience is worn out. Um, so that's another one of the big ones that I see that's most common also just wanting to avoid the places that you've been exposed to trauma or those calls. So let's say that there was a bad car accident and that one just like left you tore up as a first responder. Um, you're, you're praying that you don't get another call for a car accident. You're, you're just praying that that won't happen again. Um, and then another one is what we call hypervigilance. And that's where you're constantly on edge thinking that the worst possible case scenario is going to happen. Now for law enforcement officers in particular, they're, they're always at that level um, of hypervigilance, just being aware of their surroundings, making sure that they're closest to the exit or they can see everyone who's coming in um, and having that vigilant mindset. However, when it gets to the point that it's, really making it hard to have relationships or to face the calls that you're getting, that's when it's not a healthy vigilance. It's gone into trauma. Mm -hmm. So if I recognize some of these things in myself or in a colleague, 
what's the best way to find a therapist that I can connect with? So the one thing that I see the first responders often doing is going through EAP or insurance, and then they just click on the counselor who's closest to them. That's not the best choice often. Um, one of the big things that we really want is to make sure that you're getting a clinician who's competent in treating people in the first responder culture. It's a different world in the first responder life. It's completely different than any other um, career out there other than military, which military are also considered first responders. They're like the ultimate first responder. Um, but people who are not adequately trained. So an hour seat, like online training, one or two hour like informational session, that's not enough. Um, so I'm a certified first responder counselor. You can actually go to the website and look in their directory to see who is a certified first responder counselor. That training was intense. Mm. I've lived in the blue family my whole life. And even I was like, wow, I never thought of it that way. Or wow, that's some new information for me. Um, it was absolutely incredible. And that's one of the trainings that I felt was most, um, the most competent. And I know I use that word a lot, but that one's really important to when you're looking for a counselor. What made it different than just uh, your your regular training or certification as a as a therapist? There was none. There was absolutely none in treating first responders in particular. We had like a, a diversity class where we talked about the importance of being competent for different cultures, um, specifically racial and ethnic cultures, uh, but nothing for first responders. Nowadays, we're starting to see that that's really important is getting that um, true training for the first responder culture. But people will often think that, oh, I'm certified in trauma. I'm great at treating first responders. Not the case. Because <laughs> trauma you may be different in first responders than for you know, someone like me who's just an average citizen who's going about mm -hmm. my life. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, just from the times I've spent with first responders, you know, I could see how that could really be impactful. And so talk a little bit about, I know I've, I've heard this term quite a bit, where, where the trauma is like layered, it's like, you know, stuff that happened, you know, 10 years ago is piled on top of stuff that happened eight years ago, stuff that piled on top of, you know, six years, you know, it, it all compounds. What I mean, how mm -hmm. do, do you have to unwrap all those layers to get to the root of, of, of the issues that are that someone's dealing with? Um, not all the time. So with cumulative trauma, where it's just constantly uh, the exposure to traumatic events and to just the evil that we see all the time, um, it creates this compounded traumatic experience. So when we're dealing with that, you don't have to open up every single can of worms. The, the point with trauma is getting you to a place where you, you can see this experience that you've had with all of these traumas as part of your story, and yet it's not the defining factor. And that's where trauma it becomes a mental health issue is when what you experience defines how you experience life now versus I'm defining my life that is just giving me information to help with creating the definition of what I want my life to look like. 
Well, this is all fascinating to me, I guess, because I have a psych have a psychology background, and, and so it's <laughs> all fascinating to me. And but what I know you're you're a part of the smart counseling uh, platform organization. Talk a little bit about that, what that is, and how it helps first responders. Yeah, so smart counseling um, is this really awesome online tool that you can use um, to get counseling services. So it's not as quick to get a, getting face-to-face -face, um, video sessions, you can take your time with building up your com your comfortability with a clinician um, and just getting you connect, getting that connection to become alive. Um, you can do texting, not texting, but it's through this very HIPAA compliant and confidential website um, database where you can do the messaging with your counselor and kind of develop the relationship that way. Or if there's something that like you need help, but it's not a scheduled time, like you could do the message. And then you can do phone consul uh, counseling sessions. So you can talk over the phone with them and just hear their voice. And because sometimes messages can only send so much. <laughs> so having that phone conversation can help. And then when you feel comfortable enough, it can move to video sessions. Um, and Catherine Tito at Smart Counseling, she's been working on creating this uh, program called Here for Blue. And it's very focused on making sure that the clinicians who are connected with first responders are competent. They're getting adequate training and they're getting a, a true understanding of the culture of first responders, not just how to treat trauma. Hmm. So, you know, when someone's reaching out for help, there's always that, like we talked about earlier, there's always that fear of being discovered and getting losing my job. How does something, a platform like this, kind of mitigate some of that? Um, so it allows for it to be a little bit slower with building that relationship. And then you can ask those questions about, well, if I said something like this, is it going to come back to bite me in the butt? And then the clinician has to be honest with you and tell you, yes, that would actually require me to break confidentiality and notify someone because it's a safety risk or no, that's, that's actually what this is for. Counseling in particular with um, confidentiality has much more strict guidelines than most other medical professionals because we want you to be able to talk about things without being scared that it's going to cause this ripple effect of more hardship that you have to endure. And so talking about like having suicidal thoughts in the past, um, having attempted suicide even in the past, you can talk about that without fear that we're gonna call and have you be placed on a 5150 hold because that you don't actually meet criteria for a 5150 if it happened in the past. It has to be an active kind of a thing. You know, I think it would be wonderful to be able to get I mean, everyone, even you know, myself included and civilians like myself to come to the point where, yeah, I have a therapist and that's cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think because, right. I mean, the more I'm around, you know, folks like you and other people that I've talked to, I was like, yeah, I should go to therapy. And I think, <laughs> you know, cause I think it would be something I would probably have a better life. And I think if we can get mm -hmm. our first responders, especially to that point where it's okay that I'm seeing a therapist because I want to be healthy. I want to be able to respond to other people's crisis in a healthy manner. 
I think that yeah. would just be the ideal place, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I even I'm a counselor. This is my life. This is what I was trained to do. I see a counselor <laughs> because it's helpful. It's helpful having somebody who's not emotionally invested in my life to talk to so that they can provide me with an objective perspective on the things that I'm dealing with. And then also sometimes there are just those things that are weighing heavy that nobody else can relate to. And so I need someone to talk to who can like help me digest it and just go through it and be like, wow, this is a mess. Yep. That's a mess. What are you going to (laughs) do? So do you have a couch? Yes, I do. In fact, I'm sitting on it right now. (laughs) (laughs) But the, uh, kind of the, uh, th- that image of, you know, going to a therapist or laying on a couch and some guys yep. writing on a notepad. You know? Oh yeah. No, I'm not that kind of a therapist. Okay. I have my own little chair over there, but it faces the couch. I'm not behind it. I like to see and interact with my clients. Yeah. So uh, when someone gets into therapy like that, how often should they expect to be seen by a therapist? It really depends on the situation that you're coming in for. Sometimes, um, it, it needs to be weekly because the effects of what you've been going through are so intense. So for someone whose divorce is, or whose marriage is on the brink of divorce, um, someone who is really just losing their temper all the time and having no patience at work or at home, uh, that might need to be seen once a week, um, to get the help that you need. And then sometimes it's once a month, like, what you see is getting to you, but you instead it's more of a preventative measure slash somewhat processing of the past to make sure that you're in a healthy space so that you can be present for your family when you're with your family and be able to do your job in a in an effective and do it with integrity. Mm-hmm. So if someone is at the point where they're really contemplating suicide, What's the, what's the length of time they can expect to go through therapy? I mean, that can vary, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it varies based on the therapist. Some therapists, uh, most therapists do one-hour sessions, but some therapists will do like, okay, let's do a five-hour intensive. Um, I personally don't do those just because I get overwhelmed after three hours. I'm like, okay, I'm tired. I need a break. Let's go to lunch. <laughs> now I need to go see my therapist, right? <laughs> <laughs> not, not necessarily I need to see my therapist, but I need like just a breath. I need to go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What, I can't what, sit. I cannot sit for that long, to be so, honest. <laughs> so how long then, like, like is it weeks, months, years? that can can take to really get someone to a healthy place? One of the biggest things that will impact how long you're in sessions for or how long you're in treatment for is how much you're willing to commit to do the work. Because showing up, sitting on my couch for one hour a week and me just talking to you is not going to make a very big difference. It will help, but you need to do the work at home outside of the one hour a week to be able to overcome the struggles that you're dealing with. And so if you're willing to do the work and do it, okay, let's go, let's get this done. I'm going to do this right now. Um, It could be as short as six to eight sessions, but if it's like, I'm nervous, I really don't know if I can, I don't think I could ever overcome this. It might take several months to a year. Mm -hmm. 
And it does take work. I mean, it, it's, you know, I, in working on my last film, you know, talking about heroin addiction, you know, these folks that are, that are really, in, in, it takes, well, for them, it's a lifetime of work to stay away mm -hmm. from that. And so, but it takes effort and it takes connections with the right people and maybe even changing mm -hmm. a whole friend group and changing, you know, a lot of things about your life, especially if you're yeah. in a really bad place. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's the same yeah, way for definitely. first responders. Mm -hmm. And for first responders in particular, strengthening those relationships at home, that's not just going to be work that you do. It's going to require your partner and your children and your family members to also engage in the work. And sometimes they need more of a buy-in to know, am I doing this work and you're going to be doing it too? Or are you just telling me what to do? Because we all know that sometimes we like to nag at each other <laughs> at our spouses. But um, in, in these situations, sometimes you got to do a little bit more work up front to really show your family. Yes, I'm doing this work. Let's do it together. Mm -hmm. And then it gets them more of a buy-in too. So what if I'm a firefighter and, you know, I'm a veteran firefighter. I've been in it for a while and, you know, working with a, a group of guys and gals and, but I really sense I need to do this, but, I'm getting some negative pushback from my colleagues. What should I do? How can I push through? Right. That's one of the challenging things when it comes to getting help is the stigma of mental health and how it impacts people viewing you because that's hard. One of the biggest things with counseling is that you get to decide who hears that you're going and who doesn't. Um, so you can keep it a secret if you want. And we can't tell anyone your, your boss could call and say, I need to talk to the therapist of Conrad. And we, we can't say, I need you to get him to sign a release of information. That's actually violating HIPAA. We have to say, I can neither confirm or deny that I know who that person is. And then the next time that they come in, I say, hey, somebody called. Did you want me to talk to them? Because if you do, you need to tell me. And then you need to sign this paper saying that it's okay. And there's this whole process just for me to admit that I even know that you exist. Mm -hmm. So um, there is so, the protections there. So, so yeah. I can come to see a therapist and, and not have to let my colleagues know necessarily that mm -hmm. this is what I'm going through. Yeah. yeah. And then also, um, one of the things that we, one of the things that I really enjoy doing when it comes to counseling is doing couples work. Like it's not just the individual, it's the couple coming in together. Because in my personal belief, the marriage relationship is the most powerful relationship that we can have in our life. And if I am able to help the marriage be strong and so that you can rely on each other, it makes it that much easier to face the darkness that you face every day. Um, and so going to counseling for couples relationship issues, that is going to be really helpful. And it also, it's a little bit less of a stigma around marriage counseling versus individual treating your trauma and stress and anger. Mm -hmm. So as a, as a therapist, what, what motivates you to come into the office every day and, and to deal with some of these really difficult situations? Seeing the growth that people have, um, seeing people go from just this like place of hopelessness and fatigue and just I'm done and I don't know if I can go on any longer. And over a couple of weeks starting to see them, well, maybe, maybe, 
I'll think about it. And then after a couple more weeks, like, okay, I, I think I actually got this. Let's get, okay, let's get going. And then I'm like, here we go. This is my favorite part. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so yeah, seeing that growth and, and seeing the hope come back, whether it's for the hope of their marriage relationship or the hope of just being able to go out and help people again. One of the reasons I like helping first responders is because I'm not just helping them. I'm helping every single person that they come into contact with. And, and that helps remind me of like, even when it's tough, it's not as tough as it seems. <laughs> Well, it's, it's amazing what you're doing. And I know for our first responders out there to have someone like you that they can come to to get help for the situations that they're facing. I think that's that's very meaningful and it's got to be meaningful work. And so um, it as is. a civilian, it is thank very you for doing, for doing what you're doing. And, thank you. Uh, so, uh, so where can people reach out to you? How can they reach out to you or to a smart counseling? How can they get in touch with, with that organization? Um, so for smart counseling, you want to go to smartcounseling.com um, and just you can check it out through there and check out um, what their programs are like specifically for first responders going to here for blue. Um, that is part of the smart counseling organization that they're working on with first responders in particular. Um, and then for myself, I my business in California is code three counseling. Um, so you can go to code3counseling.com and contact me through there. Um, yeah. Very good. And as uh, as we're going, you can go ahead and put that in the comments below so people can link directly to uh, to your website. Well, Alicia, Absolutely. thank you so much for joining us today on First Responder Friday. I really enjoy talking with you and learning more about uh, kind of the behind the scenes as to what in, in counseling and in working with our first responders. Thank you for your time and for the work that you're doing. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate that you're doing this. This is something that I really feel is going to make a huge impact in our world, especially right now. Um, and it's something that's been needed for a long time. So I really appreciate that you're doing this. Thank you. Awesome. I'll, I'll come back in just a minute. And but first, I want to just let everybody know what, uh, what we're going next. Actually, next week, we're going to be off from this program. But in a couple of weeks, we're going to be joined by... Dr. Kathy Thomas. With the, she's a clinical director for the Warriors Rest Foundation. She's working out of Oklahoma and travels around the country giving uh, training and, and, and helping first responders and specifically law enforcement officers dealing with trauma. And I got to spend uh, a day with her when she was uh, doing a trauma training in Virginia recently, and she's amazing. So July 24th, she will be on First Responder Friday. And then we have someone else coming up later in the month as well, and I'll announce that at a later date. But today, we've been talking with Alicia Swade, and she has joined us from her, her, her perch above the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> I'm very jealous. And so, Alicia... <laughs> I want to thank you for joining us today, and uh, I wish you the very best in the work that you're doing. Thank you.